0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Greg Bear. Greg is the director of the Grable Foundation. He's founder and co-chair of Remake Learning and co-author of When You Wonder, You're Learning, which will be released later this month in April. His goal is to remake learning across America for each and every kid. So welcome, Greg. I'm so excited to chat with you today.
1: Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you.
0: I'd love to start by hearing your vision of remaking learning. So you want to remake learning for every kid in America. So where, where are we now and what's your vision of where we should go?
1: So let's start with Pittsburgh, where I'm located. Because our goal is right here in southwestern Pennsylvania, and if it has ramifications across the country, then that's an outstanding opportunity. So I start right here at home. And for me, this is work that began about 15 years ago and beginning to realize as I talked with teachers and librarians and youth workers that, in fact, something seismic was happening in kids' lives. Now, I didn't appreciate then the whole field of the learning sciences, and it feels a little naive in 2021 to go back to 2006 and talk about it this way. But what we learned then was that, in fact, kids were consuming information differently, producing information differently, developing their identities differently, seeking affirmation differently. And in fact, neuroscience and cognitive science has borne out over these past 15 years that, in fact, kids are developing differently. So the bets that we started to make 15 years ago in this learning landscape in southwestern Pennsylvania was if in fact something is seismically happening in kids lives how do we have to rethink instruction design of learning spaces the experiences kids have not only in schools but in summer camps or at the library online at home and what is it that we can do to support the caring adults throughout kids lives to a new learning landscape and so That is the work of what is known locally as Remake Learning. So Remake Learning is a network of more than 600 schools, museums, libraries, early learning centers, creative industries, campuses of higher education that collectively in our region are thinking about what does it mean to advance learning that's relevant, that's engaging, and that's equitable. And that simple shift of moving from education and schooling to a sense of learning, that we all learn anywhere, anytime, at any place. And how can we support learners in genuine learning pathways in the places where they live? So we start to think about our places as campuses for learning. And so that's the work that we've tried to do here in this region. Um, And in fact, every spring now, there's a regional celebration called Remake Learning Days, which is designed to engage parents, families, and caregivers, and helping parents understand how learning is being remade, why it's being remade, if their kid is in fact lit up by STEM or arts-based maker learning or technology-enhanced learning, how to support him or her in, in a learning pathway and what that looks like, and then to begin to demand changes in schools and museums and libraries that are commensurate with that. And I mentioned Remake Learning Days because that's the work that has taken root outside of southwestern Pennsylvania. So here in 2021, there are 17 places all across America that will be hosting Remake Learning Days across America in the state of Oregon, in the county of San Diego in California, but also Washington DC, Cincinnati, Ohio, Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky, and of course, right here in Southwestern Pennsylvania and Northern West Virginia. And the whole idea is that we've got to find ways in school and out of school to capture what is timeless and classic about learning. For example, the caring relationships that are always going to be important and pivotal in a young person's trajectory, but matching that with what attracts kids, what ignites their passions and interests, and how to support them Having learned what we're learning about learning itself and the ways in which we need to create different types of environments, use different types of tools and devices to support great learning. And it's that experimentation in developmentally appropriate ways that is the work of remaking learning.
0: Amazing. I, I have a few questions from there, um, yes, please. but I also want to, like, at some point in the future, we should explore how we can do Remake Learning Days in the San Francisco Bay Area, where I am, and how we can connect and make that happen, because I think we have really similar ideas on education. But you started out talking about how learning is different now and how kids are taking in information differently and processing information differently. And I'm really curious, you know, kind of from a neuroscience standpoint and from a learning standpoint, differently from, I guess my first question was differently from what? Is it different from kids in the past? Is it different from the way adults learn? And what makes that different? Because that was really your initial thought process of this seismic shift of education. So how is that different and different from Uh, whom?
1: So it's driven by social and technological changes. And I'm not a neuroscientist, but I read enough neuroscience to be dangerous. And even <laughs> the brain mapping and brain scanning that neuroscientists have done are demonstrating how uh, you know young kids' brains are lighting up differently in different ways than previous generations. So developmentally, young people are developing differently. But in that sociological way, we know that you know a, a kid might not only be in that classroom with the teacher but might also be online and can produce something and can send it out to the world to absolute strangers and get affirmation from strangers in a way that you and I never did as, a, as kids, right? Our own experience was affirmation from our teachers, affirmation from our peers, affirmation from our families. Mm-hmm. Well, kids now can earn and receive good and negative affirmation in all sorts of places in a connected world. And in so, they're also experiencing the world differently, which is prompting them to develop their identities differently. You can be in the middle of Kansas and be anywhere in the world at any moment with access to almost any amount of information in a way that certainly none of us ever could be. And so, you know, as we think about that, that for adults, I'm sure it, you know, induces a, a deep anxiety, right? Like that's a little scary. At the same time, it opens up worlds. And so the challenge for us is to say, how do we take what's attractive to young people and make that constructive and good? And that's what so many of today's teachers are doing in classrooms, as they think about how they integrate robotics and AI, but also traditional arts-based education and good project-based learning, which isn't new, but it's, it's always made contemporary, right? But it's also what the Designers and the artists and the technologists and the roboticists and the gamers and others are thinking about. And so, so much as we think about remaking learning and who today's kids are, is understanding their perspective of things, how they're developing their identities and seeking affirmation differently, and how we can support them in the passions and interests that they have in a learning landscape that's entirely different than what you and I experienced.
0: Yeah, it is entirely different. And I think I'm in the same boat as you and that I've learned just enough neuroscience to be dangerous. And it's one of the things that I find both really exciting. Like I love the, your illustration of a kid sitting in Kansas and connected to the world, which yeah, that, that does make a lot of people really anxious. I find it really exciting as well right. that you can get those affirmations and you can reach out like you and I are having this conversation because of things that are possible now. But I'm also really curious and always curious about like how that changes child development and how that changes their brain and how that affects our social emotional learning and development as we look at it, you know, literally lighting up different areas of the brain. And that's something we talked about because we talked about launching like a VR school and a VR program. But the idea of putting young kids into virtual reality for several hours a day to be in school, which in one hand... Seems like an amazing idea because you could be in school anywhere and be all together and gathered and learning. And you could be, you know, you could be at home, you could be in any country, you could be in any space and all be together. But then that idea of what does that do for a child's brain development and what areas then are we developing and what areas are not developing because of that and what implications does that have are things that just make me really curious. And I don't have answers for it, but I find it interesting to hear that in your studies and then you're looking at it, like you're literally seeing kids learning differently and excited by different things. And, you know, what does that mean then for craftsmanship and the, you know, crafting arts and man-made things versus technological and, you know, all of those implications of
1: that. And for me, it opens up a world of curiosity and creativity, right? It invites questions. I mean, really, how different is it from hundreds of years ago when the printing presses were invented, right? And it opened up a world of books. Right. In some ways, the internet and, you know, all of the hardware and software we're creating are just the modern day printing presses. And the question is, how do we harness those for good? I think about I have a great joy and privilege of being able to visit so many schools, so many libraries, so many early learning centers. And I I think about visiting one classroom in the Duquesne city part of Pittsburgh. Duquesne is, um, well, it's seen better days. And most, if not all of those students receive free and reduced price lunches. I mean, it's a, it's a tough area in which to be you know, growing yeah. up and going into one particular classroom, which is just, I mean, it's just lit up in the most project-based learning way that those of us who are lucky, you know, 30, 40 years ago to experienced, The 70s and 80s version of project-based learning. It's, you know, it's a modern version of that. And yet here the kids were learning about the Holocaust, right? And being able to put on VR glasses. And, you know, as they're doing their reading and having their seminar and having their conversation, learn things, being able to go from Duquesne, Pennsylvania to a very different place in Nazi Germany, you know, many decades ago. And And how then, when they took off those devices, how that opened questions, it just opened questions because they had been transported physically to another place. And it just elucidated what they were otherwise reading in books and learning from films. And it it just presented another opportunity. And and to me, that was the great harnessing of technology in a constructive way. Again, that was developmentally appropriate, but then invited questions. And isn't that what great learning ultimately does? Is it... It invites questions. It acknowledges questions. It respects questions. It does all of those things for the learner because it loves the learner and puts the learner in the driver's seat.
0: Yeah, and and by doing that, you're allowing you know what we know about learning. You're changing that child's environment without actually changing their environment. Yes. But now you know changing that environment and putting someone in a different physical state, a different emotional state. That's when that deeper learning really happens. And. You have a deeper knowledge and greater understanding so you can ask different questions. Yeah, that's a really optimistic use of technology.
1: (laughs) I agree, environment drives behavior. Bill Strickland here in Pittsburgh who developed the Manchester Craftsman's Guild and his work has been replicated around the world in a very simple way, he says all the time, environment drives behavior. And it's it's that environment of the caring adults and how we conduct ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the physical environment it's the tools that we present to kids. Um, it's that environment that drives behavior.
0: So let's let's dig a little more into that. And I know part of what you do with Remake Learning is to really develop learning ecosystems and creating this environment and network of authority figures. And I've, you mentioned schools and museums and different people that come together to create a full ecosystem. For students to learn. So can you talk more about like what that system looks like in practice and how you draw people in and how, you know, how educators make this happen for their classrooms?
1: So this has been 15 years of work of building a community, of building a different set of relationships among teachers, not only in a school building, but teachers across district boundaries of teachers with museum exhibit directors with librarians, of building a community that now consists of thousands of educators in and out of school, early childhood through high school, who are really experiencing learning differently. And that, again, that shift of education as being schooling to really thinking of our learning landscape differently and how we support kids. So it doesn't mean that it replaces school, right? School still has a critical role and probably always will have a critical role if we uh, design it in the right ways for the future of where kids are. But we have to remember kids spend only 14 to 20% of their waking hours in a school building. So all of those other waking hours, where are they? And how do we put together a high-quality learning landscape that consists of amazing after school programs, of amazing early learning centers, of amazing online experiences, of family-friendly opportunities for families to gather together. And so um, the work of Remake Learning it, it consists of multiple things. One, there's just tremendous storytelling, right? About building a mindset in a region, a place like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or elsewhere, about what constitutes great learning, and celebrating the examples of things that are happening right in classrooms, that are happening in um, in a library or an after-school program, and celebrating that and sharing that in a way that diffuses opportunity, diffuses innovation, and you know builds relationships too. And speaking of relationships. There's so much human organizing, right? So all sorts of meetups, virtual and in-person, events, conferences, conference delegations, working groups, regional working groups around computational thinking or maker-centered learning or um, culturally responsive pedagogy, all sorts of working groups that allow professionals who regard themselves as educators, again, whether that's a teacher or an after-school director or an artist, right? Right settings that allow educators to come together and to build relationship among one another and learn one another. I often say the work of remake learning isn't about the kids, it's about the adults and um, repositioning us as adults to understanding who the kids are, building our knowledge of where the learning sciences are taking education and learning and then building the relationships so that if I'm a second grade teacher and I have a kid who is lit up by coding you know, I've been, maybe my school has been doing computational thinking and, and we have some coursework that we we've done in kindergarten and first grade and now second grade. And you can see when a kid is lit up by something, right? And when a kid is lit up by something, that's what enables him or her to soar. So if you have a kid that's suddenly lit up by coding, you know, something maybe you and I didn't experience in school, or certainly didn't experience it in the way that we currently have, that you as an adult in remake learning Now appreciate and understand that there is a a web of relationships, organizations, experiences that I can share with that student's family to say, you know what, this is clearly lighting up this student and and here are 20 other opportunities in our community that we could start to think about building out a learning pathway. We haven't gotten to the stage of massive credentialing or digital badging or formal educational passports. But so much of it is, you know, moving that direction where we really understand learning is happening well outside of the school building and is connected in the community. And we support those caring adults, whether it's that teacher or that parent to support our kids, almost as if we give every single kid enrichment. Right. It's no longer relegated just to gifted students. But we think about IEP like personalized rich enriched learning experiences for kids. And we think about the ways in and out of school that we can provide that for kids.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing ecosystem. Like you answered my next question as I was thinking about it, is that like, how do you support the adults? And how do you connect them? And how do you build those relationships? But then hearing you talk about the students and, and coding and and definitely things we didn't have, I mean, to share a story, and it'll definitely date me, but my high school's first ever computer science class was invite only, and they invited four of us, and I was one of them that got to take computer science, because my high school had two computers at the time, so they paired us up, and a pair of each of us got a computer, and we learned HyperCard, which I don't know if you remember HyperCard, but it was... It was the original, like you could create a page and a picture and a button, and then you'd push the button and it would go to the next page and there'd be a picture. Like it was essentially like a storybook that, you know, our kindergartners create now within an ELA class period. It took us an entire semester to learn how to do this on our antiquated Apple IIe computers. But looking at, you know, how you've built this ecosystem among adults and then, you know, I'm kind of picturing the next iteration of how do you create that individual learning system for that kid to really follow their interests and get the structure and the basics and, you know, all of the skills that they really need, but also, you know, weave this web for each individual student to follow their interests and have student-centered learning. And, you know, we're not there yet. It doesn't sound like you're there yet, but I was picturing (laughs) like this next. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I would say, you know, there are a couple of ingredients I didn't mention, right? The ingredient of professional development of professional learning. In the Remake Learning Network in our region, generally, there are dozens upon dozens of peer-led professional learning communities where educators in and out of school can come together. Some partner, for example, with Project Zero at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, or they formed world-class partnerships with the Smithsonian Digital Learning Labs in Washington, D.C., or it might be a local community of maker learning educators, but places where educators can connect, which is so critical as an educator because, you know, sometimes you're lucky enough to walk down a hall and, you know, maybe you have five colleagues right in that hallway who have that same sensibility of education and learning and, and they have a similar pedagogical approach. But maybe you're the only one in your school building doing it too, right? Which is why a network is so important and a network that's supported, a place I can go where I'm connecting with like-minded educators and I'm attending to my craft and attending to my own opportunity and there's space for me to be curious and there's space for me to experiment. And speaking of experimentation, in the Remake Learning Network, there are all sorts of grant opportunities, right? And allowing for lots of experimentation for, you know, maybe I'm a teacher and I wanna work with these technologists at this company because I have this idea of digital math blocks but how would I do that and how would I create that? And, and creating just a lot of opportunities for adults to experiment together, right? The sort of experimentation and wonder that we want for kids in the classroom, giving that space for educators to do that. We have a grants program through Remake Learning right now called Moonshots, right? So as we think about a post pandemic learning future, yes, there is all sorts of trauma to which we need to attend, there is all sorts of um, systemic racism or um, you know, just other obvious challenges of accelerating learning that we need to address. I don't, I'm not discounting any of that. Um, um, it's important to, to notice that, to um, tackle that head on. But we also need to give our space, self-space to say like, where do we want to be two years from now? We're going to emerge to a different place. And where do we want to start, stop tinkering and really make something dynamically new and make it normal in that new learning landscape on the other side of this pandemic? And so these moonshot grants are allowing folks across the network to connect. I was just on the phone earlier today with the superintendent who, you know, was talking to agricultural experts in his community and the community college in his community. You know, clearly the grant opportunity had created this space where I'm going to reach out to these potential partners because I think we could do something special in this rural community in a different way. And I don't have money elsewhere in my life to be able to do this, but we could apply for this grant opportunity and maybe pursue that and all along the way of 15 years there have been lots and lots of small amounts sometimes large amounts of catalytic grants that have allowed people to experiment and again when i say experiment in developmentally appropriate ways but mm-hmm. allow them to you know to support the time space the partnership with other colleagues to try some things and to do it differently in service to kids and learning and that's so critical too to give people the time and space to do that and that's what something like a network allows
0: yeah, what a great opportunity for educators to be able to, you know, take advantage of grant opportunities to create new things um, and even just to work together and have the possibility of sharing their work with others and, and getting feedback and gaining that energy that you get from a network. Yes. That sounds phenomenal.
1: Well, it comes down to relationships. I mean, right, yeah. we talk about learning. And again, there's some things timeless and classic for kids about those loving, caring adults who are present in your life. But that's true for us as adults too, right? Affirmation doesn't go away. The opportunity to partner doesn't go away. And so how do we create relationships that allow us as adults to do our work, to do it better and to do it differently and to learn?
0: Which leads me to one of my last questions. The title of your book is, you know, when you wonder you're learning. And we're talking about teachers having wonderings and creating learnings. But can you share, you know, one or two of the key takeaways that you talk about in your book?
1: Yeah, so this is the new book, When You're Wonder, You're Learning. So that's taken directly from lyrics of Fred Rogers, the iconic producer of children's television here in the United States, whose program originated right here in Pittsburgh. Oh, and really? Filmed, I didn't know that. Yeah, filmed for decades at WQED um, here in Pittsburgh, the nation's first public television station. And so, you know, we think often about Fred Rogers around here. He's he's local um, He's a local hero. I'm a Pittsburgh kid. I grew up watching Fred Rogers. And a number of years ago, I began to appreciate Fred Rogers not only as a loving, caring, grandfatherly person who was on my television, and whose show I enjoyed watching, but, you know, he's a learning scientist, too. They certainly didn't use those words 50 years ago. But he was a remarkable learning scientist. And he's someone who studied in Pittsburgh at a time when you also had Margaret McFarland, Eric Erickson. Benjamin Spock, some giants of child development theory and practice of the 20th century. So he was steeped and grounded in child development, you know, what we would now call it whole child development theory and practice. But, you know, Fred Rogers was also an innovator. He was a disruptor. He was radical, right? He was someone who said, what is the technology of my day? You know, in his case, it was television, Mm -hmm. understood that it was attractive to young people and said, this medium can be used differently and constructively to support learning. And so I mentioned Fred Rogers because we like to talk about the Fred method, that Fred method that connects what is timeless and classic with what is new and innovative and takes us to where we need to be given where today's young people are. And that's what Fred did 50 years ago. So this book is grounded in six different chapters, beginning with curiosity and then creativity and so on. Each chapter takes you back to an episode of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? So it's grounded in a story. And what we try and do, my co-author and I, Ryan Ridzeski, is elucidate then the contemporary learning science, right? Like how in 2021, we can think about the work that Fred did 50 years ago, and then give all sorts of modern examples in schools, in museums, in libraries, of ways that organizations are employing that FRED method with their own vision and their own expectations for themselves and for the kids in their care. And then gives really practical examples for teachers and parents about how we might take advantage of of FRED's work. You know, so many of us are talking these days about building back better, right? What does it mean to build back better as we think about a post-pandemic learning future? Well, we believe that part of building back better is looking at the blueprints of Fred Rogers, because essentially Fred Rogers left us a blueprint 50 years ago that shouldn't be left in the dustbin of history, but is incredibly relevant for 2021 and beyond. And there's so much about his work that could guide us as we look forward. And again, employing that Fred method in the ways that you and I and everyone else can do and do it in in smart ways on behalf of today's kids and what their futures hold. I can't wait to read the book. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, well, thank you. The way people talk about innovation um, as oftentimes finding something new and something familiar. In a sense, that's what we try and do in this book, right? Mm-hmm. Finding something new and relevant and future facing in something as familiar as Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And It was personally and professionally powerful for me to be part of writing this book. And I think it's forever changed me as a parent, as a dad. It's forever changed me as um, someone who's engaged in education and learning and endeavoring to support the amazing educators here in Southwestern Pennsylvania and beyond.
0: Yeah, I think we also, you know, as we looked into innovation, as we look into post-pandemic education, we also have kind of this... I'm going to call it a sweet spot of crisis and the crisis of distance learning and the crisis of the pandemic that we're coming out of um, matched with this opportunity that we have to, to redesign things, to build back better, to recreate our learning atmosphere because we've been away for so long and it's caused so many of us to question, you know, what is important? What are we learning? You know, what do we bring back into the building and how do we make it better when we go back? Yeah. It, it It's very timely.
1: Yeah, you know, this pandemic experience has been halting for all of us, right? And we should be sober to the obvious reality that 2019 was not working in so many ways for our kids, especially our Black and brown learners, right? This pandemic has put an incredible spotlight on inequities. It's put an incredible spotlight on the systemic practices that we had in place that were really holding us back. And so what I get so excited and hopeful about as I have the privilege and opportunity of, of meeting and working with superintendents and principals and teachers and librarians and museum directors and beyond is the ways in which they are incredibly attentive to what it is that we need to do going forward. Right. And what were the things that we were sort of tinkering with that we really are going to make normal, you know, in the ways that we can, and how are we going to really take on some of the hard questions of our day and seriously, genuinely, and authentically try and address them. And it's it's just, it is such a privilege to work in the field of learning, which leads me to, to another point that I just, I, I feel it's so important to say, right? As we think about the future of learning, I myself have gotten stuck in the narrative, like all oh, schools in particular, schools are stuck in a 20th century model. Well, another reality of this past year is that You'd be hard pressed to find another profession other than the educator profession that has been as deft, has been as flexible, has been as creative, has been as innovative as has the teaching field, right? And that wasn't only true about this past year. Teachers have been among the most innovative profession for decades. And yes, maybe the systems didn't allow them to accomplish the things that they wanted, but As a field, there is no other field that attends to its craft as much as does the teaching field and that cares about what it does as much as the teaching field. And and it's that care, that love, that attention to craft that has also, for me, been a bright spot of, of this past year and should be so motivating to all of us who are either educators or allies to educators as we look into our future.
0: Yeah, what an incredible perspective. I hear so much and and see so much on the internet about how so many things are wrong with schools and schools have handled it poorly and and also see a lot of people really propping up the educators. But you're right. Our teachers and our educators are some of the most creative and most flexible and frankly, fastest to pivot during this time. You know, I know personally, we shut down and we had two days to move from here's our entire learning plan for in school to here's our entire learning plan for distance learning. You know, for the next however many months, and to be able to move, you know, an entire staff and entire school districts and hundreds of thousands of people to completely shift the
1: way that they do everything has been phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and to do that on top of a reality when it wasn't clear, like, when is this going to end, right? Some (laughs) emergencies, like, it's still not clear, right? (laughs) Sometimes they're beginning like you can say like, okay, we need to get to here, but like this was in the context of long emergency that was so uncertain and that you know has taken left and right turns. It's even more incredible when you consider those circumstances.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all of your time today. I'd love to hear you share how our listeners can get in touch with you or if you have any um, social media or things that you'd like to have them reach out.
1: I appreciate that. So a number of places, remakelearning.org. Uh, is a place to connect to remake learning, RemakeLearningDays.org is a place to connect to the remake learning days team. I'm mostly in social media on Twitter. So my handle is at Greg Bear, that's G R E G G B E H R. And that's probably the easiest place um, to connect. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation. And thanks again for your time today.
1: Thank you. It's been a real honor to be here. I'm grateful. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay area, check out our progressive inclusive elementary school Up Academy at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well, no matter where your educational journey may lead.